Today, on Unexpected Hauntings, we hear a crazy story of a night shift at a care home gone totally awry. What happens when a dad witnesses a ghost at an old prison that he works at? And what do you do when you realize you've been talking to ghosts when you were little? More coming up for you on today's episode of Unexpected Hauntings. Stay tuned, listeners. Listen if you dare, as we unfold stories of unexplained happenings and phenomena. Write in at unexpectedhauntings739 at gmail.com. This is where the unexpected and ghost stories are brought into reality. This is Unexpected Hauntings. That's right, everyone, and welcome to episode 14 of Unexpected Hauntings. We're so happy to have you today. And on this super hot summer day, it is super hot over here. I don't know if where you guys are um, geographically, but it is smoking hot. Um, this has been one of the hottest summers, I think, um, in a long time. And who's ready for fall? <laughs> I just wanted to ask um, and get out there. Who's ready for fall? Because I am. Um, and ready. I'm ready for cold weather. There's something about cold weather um, that makes me happy. Because you can do something about cold weather. You can put on a jacket. You can put on long sleeves. But in hot, no, really nothing you can do. You're pretty much fucked. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's ready for fall. Ready for fall weather. Those color, those colors, pumpkin carving, ghost stories. Wink, wink. <laughs> now we well we always do ghost stories on here. So um, we always try to keep you guys informed and um, and interested on this um, on our ghost story podcast if you will and uh, we love that you guys are still listening to us that proves to us that you guys love ghost stories and that you love the other side or the paranormal ghosts side of um, the unknown I'll just say that because I forgot what I was going to (laughs) say But um, anyways, and um, it's going to be a great episode. Uh, we've got some stories lined up for you. We've got a story of um, uh, someone, one of their dads, working at an old El Reno prison. And that is such a creepy prison. Um, it's like held in Oklahoma, I believe. And um, basically he witnesses people while he's on his night watch at the prison. Um, and there's probably been so many stories like that. I'm sure, uh, went to go to Alcatraz one time and heard a lot of stories about, um, about different ghosts being spotted there as well during riots and stuff like that at prison, uh, prison breaks and all that. So, and I hope to do an episode on that as well. But anyways, um, today's episode is going to be cool. Um, our next story is going to be on um, a 
a person working night shift at a care home for people with disabilities and um, interesting stuff and sounds that they hear at night. Um, and also going to be hearing a story of an interesting interesting story. I don't think we've ever heard of this, but a person that can't remember things that they did when they were little, but their parents tell them when they're older, and they found out that they've been talking to ghosts ever since they were like three or four. <laughs> so um, you never really know what you did when you were little until your parents, I guess, tell you what you did. Um, so I guess that does it for our intro for today's episode of 14. And here we go with our first story. And it is called The Night Shift in a Care Home. I recently found some Let's Read type channels on YouTube and decided to try and write down an experience I had a few years ago as it seemed similar to the content being posted. I'm 27 years old, male, live in the UK with my fiance, and currently work as a teaching assistant for teenagers with special educational needs in a school not far from Bradgate Park in Leicestershire. I have worked in a number of schools and children's homes now, and these buildings, especially the children's homes, are usually old, renovated houses or halls. This particular story happened in 2013 when I had just started working as a support, op- support worker at a care home for teenagers and young adults, 18 to 30 years old, with autism, brain damage, and challenging behavior. The house that I worked in was pretty big. There were two living rooms, a large kitchen, a games room, a study, and five bedrooms. There was also a huge garden with a summer house activity room that led on to acres of fields and woodland. I had been working there for about three weeks and, pri- and primarily worked the walking, the waking night shift. This shift ran from 10 p.m. until 8 a.m., and it was my duty to make sure all of the residents were settled for the night and to get the cleaning done before the day staff came in to take over. I would usually get all my jobs done around 1 a.m. and spend the rest of the night listening out for anyone that woke up. I would watch TV, read my university course books, and of course, sometimes just play games on my phone once I was finished. The residents usually slept all night. On one particular night, a young man named James, not the actual name of the league for legal reasons, was particularly restless. He was not very big, but he had a lot of strength behind him, and when he got into, into one of his bad moods, and the slightest thing could set him off, he once threw a member of staff through a patio door because she had forgotten to put cold water in his tea before he drank it. He could not form full sentences and would communicate with fairly simple words, but together in a way that he understood. For example, he would say something like, James make breakfast when he was ready to make breakfast, or James go outside if he wanted to go outside and play. He was generally well behaved, 
and could be quite funny when he wanted to be, but was well known for his temper. At around 11 p.m., James got up and came downstairs to make a drink. I stood in the doorway and watched to make sure he didn't break anything or hurt himself, and he went back upstairs without any real bother. I sat on the top step and kept an eye on his door for maybe 15 minutes or so to make sure so he didn't make any of the other residents. Once he had settled, I went back to my cleaning. The room beneath James' bedroom was a commun com communal living room with board games, a TV, sofas, books, and stuff like that. I was in there just dusting and mopping the floor when I heard something heavy drop onto the floor in the room above. I knew James was prone to temper tantrums if he got frustrated, so I went upstairs and knocked on his door. As I reached for the key to open it myself, he opened the door and looked at me. He seemed perfectly calm, and his eyes looked almost half shut, like he had been asleep. I asked if he was okay, and he said yes and put his thumb up. This was something he did when he was in a good mood and not stressed out, so I felt so I left him, left to, left him to it, and told him to be cheerful, careful, thinking that he had knocked something over. An hour or so had passed, and by now I was in the kitchen cleaning the sink. I heard some, I heard another bang above me, again like something had been dropped. This time, I realized that the room above the kitchen was currently empty. The house was set up to house five residents, but there were currently only four, and the room above me was the spare empty room. I immediately went to go check it out, but the room was empty. I stood there for a while, and as far as I could tell, everyone was asleep. Due to the nature of their conditions behaviors, each resident has an alarm fitted to their door that is activated at night, so if anyone leaves their room, a small receiver box that the night staff carries around makes a noise and a light blinks for a few seconds to indicate which door had been opened, numbered 1 through 5. The alarm had not gone off, so I knew that the noise was not from any of the other residents. I got back to my cleaning and didn't hear anything else from the rest of the night. The following night I got to work just before 10 and as I entered the hallway, I could tell that something was wrong. James was at the bottom of the stairs, covering his ears and humming loudly, and three members of the staff were with him. After a few minutes, he was escorted to the sitting room, and the house manager gave me a rundown on what had, hap what had been going on. For the last four hours, James had been quite agitated and kept repeating the phrase, Sarah, little girl when asked what was wrong. This was something we had never experienced with him before, and the general conclusion was that he had been, he had seen something on TV or in a movie that stuck in his head and made him repeat this phrase. Once James had settled in bed, the night staff left, and the other member of staff that was sleeping in went up to the staff bedroom. I got on with my tasks and, as usual, finished around 1 a.m. Soon after this, I went upstairs to do a quick check on all the residents, but as I got on to the first floor landing, 
I noticed the light had been turned on. There were two small two small corridors leading to the bedrooms on left and right hand sides of the staircase. James' room was on the left and the light switch was just outside his room. I turned the corner to flick the switch and there in the darkness and complete silence was James. He was stood in the corner completely naked with his eyes as wide as he could possibly hold them. I'm a big guy, I'm a big guy, 6 foot 3, weigh about 220 pounds, but at that moment I was really creeped out. I spoke calmly to James and asked what was going on and for a while he said nothing at all. Then as I turned the light back on, he let out an ear-piercing scream and started slapping himself around the face. The sleep the sleep-in staff woke up at this point and helped me to calm the situation and get James back into bed before reassuring the other residents that everything was fine. After that night, I had four days off. My shift pattern was seven days on, two days off, followed by eight days on and four days off. And I was relieved that this incident had happened just as my time off began. I got back to work the following week and was told that the situation with James talking about the little girl had got got a lot worse. He would spend hours staring out of the window that overlooked the garden saying, Little girl, where are you, little girl? And no one knew where he had heard the, that phrase. That night around 3 a.m., the alarm went off to say that the door of, to room 5, the spare room, had been opened. Now this instantly seemed a bit weird as the door to the spare room is always kept locked because it was being used for storage at the time. I went up to investigate and found James stood in the room in the dark. He didn't seem to notice me entering and was just stood there whispering, Where are you? Over and over again. I gently touched his shoulder and said something like, Come on, mate. Let's get you back to bed. It's late. James turned around and started heading back to his room, and for a second I was relieved. But then as I locked the door to the spare room, he screamed, Oh no! And started pummeling the door with both, both fists. As he did this, the alarm went off to indicate that the front door had been opened. The only people with a key to the front door were myself, as the nightwake staff, and the house manager. The door has four locks on it, two that require a key, and two that require electronic ID cards. It was now 3.25 a.m., and the manager never came in before 8 a.m., so I presumed there must have been some kind of mistake and continued to defuse the situation with James. He finally calmed down and went back to his room, so I went downstairs to check the front door. To my surprise, it was wide open. I shut it immediately and started checking every room in the house in case someone had gotten in. I then checked on each each of the residents to make sure they were still in the house. Everything was fine. The next night everything was calm until 2 a.m. when one of the other residents, Connor, got up and said that someone was tapping on his window. I guess that he must have just been dreaming as his 
window was on the third floor of the house and was at least 25 feet from the ground. I went back up to his room with him to reassure him and checked his window. Sure enough, it was shut and the security lock that prevents it from opening wide enough for someone to fit through it was still sealed. As he got back in bed, I heard footsteps on the stairs outside of his room. He froze for a second and looked at me with an expression of pure panic on his face. I opened the door to see who, see who it was, but no one was there. He was clearly scared by this and said, Is he back? My blood ran cold and I asked, Is who back? What do you mean? Connor looked over my shoulder and then sank down into his bed, pulling the dovet up to his mouth. I turned around to see what he was looking at, but there was still no one there. Tell him to go away, Connor said in a, in a hushed, scared voice. I tried to reassure him that there was no one there and left his bedside lamp on before leaving the room. I went downstairs and sat outside on the patio with a cup of coffee. It was the middle of January and around two outside, but I felt like I had to get, get out of the house for a while. After about 40 minutes, I went back inside and washed my cup in the sink, dried it, and put it back in the cupboard. Beneath the cupboard was a locked, secure drawer where all the sharp knives are kept until needed. The drawer was open slightly. This was obviously a major issue as none of the residents were allowed to access to the knife drawer without supervision. I counted the knives and realized that there was one missing, so I woke the sleep-in staff, told her the situation, and we began to search. Nearly two hours later, we still hadn't found this missing knife, so decided to just keep our guard up and make sure none of the residents were hiding it. Two hours later, at 5.30 a.m., the alarm sounded. It was the door to the spare room again. I went up to check it and found that the door was locked. How could the alarm have been activated by the door opening if the door was still locked? I went inside and turned the light on. To this day, I still have no explanation for what I found, and I often think about this incident. The bed had been pushed from its usual place and was against the wall, and the wardrobe doors were open. There were screws and nails all over the floor, but nothing was broken. But the most disturbing part, in the middle of the room, there was a children's doll, a gold bracelet, and a missing knife from the kitchen. The doll was an old-style baby doll. My guess was that it was made in the 50s from the style of clothes and the overall look of the doll. The bracelet was simple, but old-looking. I left everything as it was and reported it to the manager as soon as she arrived. No one ever claimed that the bracelet belonged to them and it was taken to a charity shop soon after along with the doll. After the doll and bracelet were removed from the house, James seemed to calm down and never mentioned a little girl or stood around in the dark again. I still don't have an explanation for everything that happened and sometimes think that it was just a combination of strange behavior from a young autistic guy and the fact that the house was old. But on the other hand, a lot of stuff happened that I can't explain logically. 
My only regret now is that the doll and bracelet are gone and can't be examined or identified. Maybe it was paranormal. Who knows? But now I work day shifts and do not plan on working night shifts again anytime soon. So, more of the story. Don't work night shifts. <laughs> um, so, what is your take on that story? Um, let us know. Write a review and let us know or email us. Let us know about the story um, if you want to. It's, it sounds like it could be a combination of things, right? Uh, it could be um, because of this being a care home and a lot of them have a lot of autism and um, brain damage and stuff and it sounds like this kid has some brain damage um, with not being able to um, come up with words or sentences correctly um, which I don't know really I think I actually did a study not long ago about autism and the paranormal I know that sounds really creepy or really weird and really off the wall, but I just, I didn't search it, it just kind of popped up on one of my paranormal pages that I follow, and um, it was saying that autism, people with autism, um, they have an extra sense, and that they believe that that extra sense could pick up things that we can't see or that we can't hear. Um, which that makes sense because that means, you know, with autism, one of their senses is cut off. So that means, okay, so they must have an extra sense. So um, that could be very true. They, they could have seen or heard things that the person doing the night shift couldn't have seen or heard. So that is a very interesting concept to think about. Um, but... I'm not going to say it was some type of ritual, but those items, they sound like they could be ritualistic. Um, with the doll, with the bracelet, with the knife, um, all resembling something going on in that house, I think, um, that is not being told. So, um, a lot to think about with this story. A lot to think about. But again, um, if you have a crazy story like this, uh, write into us. We'd like to hear from you on unexpectedhauntings739 at gmail.com. And with that being said, we're going to go into our next story of the day. And it is called, My Dad Witnessed a Ghost at His Work. And um, this seems like it'll be an interesting story. Um, Marie wrote this in. And I'm excited to share this story with you. So without further ado, here we go. The story is called, My Dad Witnessed a Ghost at His Work. Okay, so my dad has been that type of guy where he doesn't believe in anything unless he witnessed it for himself. He's a pretty macho guy and isn't into all that fairy tale and ghost nonsense. Yet that all changed for him one day. 
It was about 2.30 in the afternoon when my dad came home. He works the night shift at the old El Reno prison. He says it's a pretty laid back job for the most part. He'll usually drive around the prison in one of the guard trucks or keep watch on the towers. But one night he was sent to do a sweep of the chapel as to make sure no one was in there who wasn't supposed to be. His boss, let's call him Jack, told him to come back and check in with him after he had done so. My dad walked through the yard out to the chapel and as soon as he walked in, he said he felt a wave of nervousness come over him. He flicked on the old lights and walked in and began to check all around the room. After about a couple of minutes, he he saw a man dressed in the same uniform as him walk out from the little office in the back. My dad asked the man if he had already done the sweep of the chapel, and the man replied, Yes, I'll take it from here. So confused as to why he was sent out there to check the chapel, my dad just gave a little, Oh, okay, I'll let Jack know. My dad returned to his boss about 15 minutes after he had sent him. Jack, you couldn't have possibly checked that whole place in such a short amount of time. Another guard's already in there. Said he'd check it, my dad said. And I guess Jack didn't think anything of it. As long as the chapel was checked, everything was fine with him. Well, this is where it gets creepy. About three days after... My dad said he was walking down the hall of the prison and stopped to look at the display case of the old photos of the other guards in the past. As he was browsing the photos, he said his heart sank and his blood froze. One of the pictures he came across was the very same guard he had encountered in the chapel. Only this guard was dead. Apparently, four years before my dad started working there, a riot had broken out in the chapel, and a guard was stabbed to death, and that guard was the same man my dad had seen in the old chapel. But out of of the twelve years of working there, not once had he ever heard about the riot until now. I don't know if they just don't talk about it, scared it might run off of some newbies, or it's just something a lot of them had forgotten about. All I can say is my dad is now a firm believer in the paranormal, and not once has he ever gone back into that creepy chapel. Wow. So, creepy chapel in a creepy prison equals extra creepy <laughs> in this story. Um, I was actually just looking it up right now. Uh, looks like it's in Oklahoma. And uh, very interesting looking place. If you ever, take it, if you ever have a moment um, to look at it, um, it's pretty wild looking. Um, it's a correctional institution course um 
Let's see. I'm sorry about that. I was hitting the TV screen on accident. Um, let's see. So there's about a thousand people, um, including guards, there. That's that's quite a bit. Um, doesn't say when it started or when it opened up. I was just going to be interested in seeing when it's opened up. Let me see. Pop up the history real quick. Okay. Okay. So it opened in April 4th, 1933. So that's, uh, it's been around for quite a while. Um, I love just picking up history of different places, be it prisons, houses, um, historical artifacts. I just love history. So I just had to search this up. But, um, so there's been multiple riots there, multiple killings, um, that can stir up a lot of activity, and it seemed to me like that guard was not ready to go. Um, he still had something that he needed to get done at the prison. May you know whether it be a, a check that he had unchecked whenever he was guarding that night, because I'm sure that they have a. They probably have a check board where they've got to go to different places and check, make sure everything is locked. And unfortunately for him, everything wasn't locked um, during that riot, and he got killed. And uh, it's crazy that um, it takes seeing to believing um, when it comes to paranormal. And I was the same way. Um, I thought it was all nonsense. Uh, all you know bullshit stories that people made up just to scare you at night and uh i'm not saying that all of the stories are real that people tell but we're open to stories on unexpected hauntings no matter what and we won't judge you for that as well um we you know we love to hear stories um such as this that whenever you didn't believe in ghosts and paranormal and then when you did because then that validates it and it gives you a reason to believe in the paranormal um and i do believe for me it was definitely seeing to believe um for the ghosts for real um because i didn't believe in ghosts until <laughs> I'm trying not to uh, quote uh, Zach Bagans <laughs> from Ghost Adventures, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. It's true because you know I didn't believe in ghosts until I came face to face with one, you know. And I'm not I'm not copying Zach Bagans and saying that it's very very true. Um, sometimes you got to be face to face with one uh, ghost or phenomena or paranormal experience um, to believe and um, I believe that in this work sometimes seeing is believing because some people just want to do this shit just to get attention and they make it up and um, again I know that that's not the fact most of the time so um, but anyways guys I'm going to stop rambling and um, go on to the next story but I um, hope that you guys enjoyed that little story. I know it was pretty short. Um, but we're going to go into the next story for the day. And this is about um, 
Oh. It's about a grandmother's haunted house. How many times have you gone to a grandmother's house and it turns out to be haunted? Huh. Very interesting. Well, here we go, guys. The last story of the episode. Um, This is entitled, My Grandmother's Haunted House. Enjoy. This happened in 2011 when I was seven. Now I'm 14 and just talked to my mother about this incident and decided to share it. So I lived with my grandmother, father, mother, and two dogs quite far from any town. The house was big, so I usually played hide-and-seek with my mom a lot. I don't remember which month it was, so my mom filled me in on this. She said it was October during the holidays. This one particular day, my dad was out driving my grandma to the hospital as she had an appointment with a doctor, so I was left alone with my mom. After several rounds of hide-and-seek and watching a movie with my mom, it began to get dark outside and my dad still wasn't home. I've always been scared of potential home invasions, so I was paranoid all day because my dad wasn't with us. He made me feel very safe. Me and my mom decided to play Monopoly. Fast forward an hour, when I was seven, I thought I was very sly, so I kept stealing money from my mom's stash. Now that I look back, she was probably pretending not to see, as I was taking a $50 bill from her Monopoly cash. She said, the power will go out soon. This left me completely puzzled, as I had no idea how she'd know this. But sure enough, it went out about 15 minutes later, and I started to panic because, as most little kids, I'm scared of the dark. I later found out that there was a power outage in my area because of a storm, and my mom was notified of it. She handed me this Nokia phone and let me play my favorite game on it, which at the time was Doom. She told me to go go hide under the bed sheets if I'm scared, and that she'll be back soon. I asked where she's going, but she didn't answer. As she head out of the room, she locked the door and I laid under the sheets, killing some monsters on the game for what felt like hours, but was probably only five minutes. Footsteps were heard in the kitchen, which was not next, which was next to the room I was in, so I took the sheets off my head and yelled at, Mom? Glad that she's glad that she's back because I was really scared but no answer was heard. The footsteps didn't stop so I yelled again, Mom, can you please come? I'm scared. After I had said that, the footsteps stopped completely. I got a sudden rush of adrenaline so I held tight on the phone and dashed out of the room to the kitchen, which was empty. I was left puzzled but didn't didn't wait for long as I ran to the door, unlocked it as as There's keys on the inside, too, and ran to the corridor. Alright, so the corridor has four doors on the right side, one at the very back, which I never allowed to go in. I later learned that the room was was where my great-grandma died, and no one touched it ever since. It also had stairs next next to it, leading to the second floor, and one at the front which led to the outside. 
The fourth door I came through was the closet, was the closest to the outside door. So I quickly opened the outside door, ready to run out. But the rush of adrenaline was gone, and I got scared of scared of the outside too. It was very dark, and I was barely able to see. My only choices were to go back to the room I came from, or scream for my mother. I chose number two and started screaming for mom over and over again. I guess I wasn't loud enough because there was no replies. I remember starting to sweat and panic. Different scenarios playing through my little head. Scenarios like a murderer killing, murderer killing my mom and coming for me next or my mom leaving me forever. I know, I know, stupid, but I was only seven after all. I remember looking down at my feet and beginning to, to cry. More footsteps were heard, but this time behind the wall. I looked behind me and saw a silhouette of a tall person. I'm assuming it's a male due to the body build. At the end of the hallway, standing in front of the door. I can't recall what he looked like because it was all black. I stared at him about 15 seconds in pure horror. This got my adrenaline pumping again, and I ran out of the door towards the outside toilet, only to be greeted by my mother, who looked worried as hell. After I told her what happened through the uncontrollable sobs, my dad was in the driveway already par parking his car. My granny was left at the hospital for some treatment. He searched the house, but no one was found, so my mom told me it was just my imagination. But I know what I saw and heard. Fast forward seven years, I live in another house and randomly remembered about this incident, incident and talked to my mom about it. She seemed, she seemed quite hesitant about telling me this, but at the end I convinced her to tell me. What she said gave me chills. Apparently when I was four, I started to stare at one particular corner in the kitchen and laugh like crazy. My mom asked what so funny and every time I point at the same corner but and every time I point to the same corner but never told her why it was funny. After a few months the random giggling I let out when start when staring at the corner didn't stop. What made my mom lose it was the fact that I started speaking random German words that I've never heard before. We have no relatives that are German or can speak German and I wasn't introduced to technology at the age either. My mother knew it's German because she can actually speak a little, but never spoke it. She bribed me with candy to tell her how I learned to say the following words in German. It, help, chocolate, shower, and war. My response completely shocked her. I pointed to the same corner again and said, He taught me how. My mom kept her cool, though. She asked me who I was talking about, and I said, The man who makes me laugh. My mom asked me what he looked like, but I only said, He looks like a shadow, and that he's from Germany. When she asked where the man lived, I pointed to the second floor. This all made sense, because I always hated the second floor and never went up there, because I felt like I was being watched. My parents took it upon themselves to Google the history of the house, and sure enough, it was built by Germans. 
I don't remember any of this, but my mom kept on reassuring me it happened. My father said he remembers it too, but decided not to tell me until now. I talked to the German man in the corner up until five years of age. I'm pretty sure you can put two and two together. But if not, the man I saw when I was seven was the same man I talked to when I was four. Every time I go back to visit my grandma, I always feel uneasy. So, I guess you could just skip um, German class <laughs> and learn German at this house, huh? Um, that's crazy and interesting, too, because you wouldn't think that, I mean, kids at that age, they can pick up on languages easier than um, than you can as going into teenage years and adulthood. Um, it's just tougher for us. Um and uh, so that was interesting that that basically that ghost kind of taught her some German, it sounds like. Um, I mean, those are the, some of the worst, some of the, the best words to learn. <laughs> chocolate. Um, chocolate, shower, war, help, and it. Um, it makes me wonder what... Um, that German kid or teen or however old that German shadow was, um, was talking to her about and, uh, must've been funny because said that she was giggling quite a bit, but, um, that makes sense that she didn't want to be up on the second floor. Cause that's where, um, that dark figure um, lived and normally, um, looking into ghosts and the paranormal, they like to keep their distance. They don't like to be seen that much. So that makes sense why they'd be in the attic or the second floor um, and not be seen until night. Because, you know, I mean, I don't know if... I don't know what the meaning of this is. I mean, of course they have to have the dark to survive and all that. Um, you see all in all the movies how you know you turn on the light it disappears. Um, I don't know. I've heard multiple stories of how people have come across paranormal activity during the day, and that is very interesting stuff. Sorry guys, um, and uh, that is crazy to think of that it can happen at any time of day. Um, doesn't have to be just at night. And uh, let me know what you guys think about that story. Um, but I think that is it for today. Um, make sure to subscribe to our Apple Podcast and Spotify and any other listening stations that you use. May it be Stitcher, um, um, Sirius XM, Google Play any other stations uh, make sure to subscribe and write us a review for unexpected hauntings um, but this has been signing out for today and hope that you guys have a great day thank you